All right, everyone, thanks for joining. I'm gonna get started. Um, my goal is to give you a few thoughts on how we see the economy today in the US, how we see asset prices and the market going forward and, and a brief touch on, on how we're positioning portfolios today. And I endeavor to get all that done in just about 20 minutes or so. Um, I, I should start with saying the, the US economy today is significantly out of balance. That's not all bad, right? It's out of balance because demand, in particular for, for goods, but now also services, is very high. There's a lot of money, there's a lot of demand out there. And supply is particularly constrained. And so when you have demand really high and supply constrained, you have a dramatic imbalance. And when you have that imbalance, you get inflation. And the worry today to oversimplify things is that the amount of inflation out there in the economy is unsustainable to the US consumer. And if the consumer makes up 60 to 70% of the US economy, if the consumer can't go out there and spend because inflation's eating into their pocketbook and wallet, then we're gonna run into a recession. And then asset prices, markets are gonna have to price in that recession. That is the heart of the issue. And what the Fed is trying to do in raising rates is to get us back into balance, simply stated between supply and demand. And why is that so important? Because when you're in balance, whether you're an economy or you're a person riding the New York City subway and trying to stay centered, or you're skiing or you're golfing or you're playing tennis, balance makes you resilient, just like it makes an economy resilient. And when we're, when we're this far out of balance as an economy, it doesn't allow us to be able to withstand shocks to the consumer, from war, from pandemic, et cetera. So the Fed is trying to get us back into balance in the least painful way possible. And how is it gonna do that? It's gotta destroy some demand and concurrently hope that the supply side gets better. And I'll, I'll tell you how we think that's going to happen. But what it means is that the question today, and I think this is the question that the stock market in particular is wrestling with is, are we or are we not going into recession? Our firm's view is that we're not, but I should say it's a really close call. It's probably not much better than 50-50 off. Now, importantly, recession is not the worst word out there. Over the last 20 plus years, we've had two major contractions, neither of which were traditional, and I say that with air quotes, recessions. We went through the great financial and housing crisis of 2008, 2009, and then we went through the pandemic of 2020. Neither were traditional business cycle recessions. These were major shocks to the system. And what we're talking about today is not any major shock to the system in the form of 08, 09, or 2020, right? This would be more a, and I don't mean to make this flippant or easy, but a traditional type recession. And the issue is when you think about the stock market today, it's not clear that the outcome's going to be bad, right? We're in the camp that we're not gonna have a recession, but there's, but there's a very reasonable camp that suggests we might. There's a, there's a reasonable camp in that says that we're gonna have inflation that continues for longer than we expect. There's ones that think it won't. The Fed will do X, the Fed will do Y. My point saying the future over the next six to 12 months, I'm not talking about three to five years from now, is highly uncertain. 
The answer to that uncertainty is not necessarily bad outcomes. It, it actually may be good outcomes. But markets hate nothing more than uncertainty. Stock markets cannot price uncertainty. People do not like to take risk under uncertain conditions. And so that level of uncertainty is what is fueling market movement and volatility today. Right? If we knew for certain the, the US economy would have earnings of $195 a share and the economy would grow or contract by one or one and a half percent, we could price that efficiently, reprice stocks of that number, and then go forward from there. But nobody's got that answer today. And so what you see is the market grasping, in, in, in my view, for straws as to what the future might be. And so in the last week, when Target and Walmart announced earnings and outlook that, that isn't constructive, and think of those as bellwethers for the US consumer, the market sells off really hard. But then when Home Depot, Best Buy, and Nordstrom today say things something different, the market has a more constructive day, right? Everyone's looking for some tidbit of information that's gonna tell us how the consumer and the economy is gonna handle an inflationary environment over the next six to 12 months and whether or not that sends us into recession. So why are we so out of balance? How did we get here? I've talked about this on prior webinars, so I'm not gonna belabor this point, but look, on the demand side, we printed an enormous amount of money in the pandemic. And whether it was right, wrong, and different, it, it's just a fact. So on this chart, when you look at personal savings rates going back to 1960, it's reasonably consistent until you get to 2020, which is the injection of payments, unemployment insurance, direct money into people, PPP loans, everything the Fed did to, to try and manage the economy through the pandemic. And savings rates go off the chart on the right. And then they start to come down, and I'll talk more about that in a second. And then there's another round of stimulus, and those savings rates go right back up again. So no one was forecasting all of that printing of money would lead to people sitting at home and spending enormous amounts of money on things, on goods. We estimate about a trillion dollars of additional money was spent on goods through the pandemic. Now, the supply chain and the economy in the best of times would have had a really hard time managing that increase in demand. It was impossible to manage that increase in demand at a period of time where the supply chain was broken and, and many workers and factories and industries were shut down. And by the way, we're still wrestling with COVID and factories today when you think about China, et cetera. Shipping is still not fixed. And then when you add on top of it, the conflict in Eastern Europe and what that does to energy prices, the gas, et cetera, that fuels more concerns about inflation and the supply side. So you've got this radical disconnect between the amount of demand that happened at a time where the, the, the business industry was least prepared to absorb it. So where do we go from here? We would agree in, in almost any scenario, growth in the US is gonna slow. It is slowing. Whether or not it goes negative, you know, becomes a technical, is it really a recession? Is it not a recession? But, but clearly growth is slowing. And so I think there are three scenarios forward from here. One is that growth slows, the Fed raises interest rates, and that destroys some demand. Why does that destroy demand, right? You've got sub supply too low, demand too high. So you gotta bring down demand. When the Fed raises rates, it makes everything from credit card payments, and auto loan payments and mortgage payments more expensive. 
And so that's taking money out of people's wallets, right? It destroys demand. The good scenario is that the Fed can do that at a reasonable rate. And, and in our view, the Fed has articulated that pretty well. At the same time, the, the supply side, the supply chain continues to improve. Now, admittedly, the supply chain has not improved as quickly as anyone would have hoped. But I think what the Fed is trying to do is, is, is sort of run the ball forward here and say, if I can raise rates gradually as a supply chain improves, I can get my balance back in this economy, right? My supply can get better as I break down demand without having to crush it. And we have a soft landing. That's our base case. A second scenario is the supply side doesn't get better. The supply chain doesn't get fixed. China doesn't come back online. Things, you know, we can't perfectly predict the war in Eastern Europe. And the Fed is the only game in town and the Fed has to continue and continue to raise rates to destroy enough demand to get the, the balance back in play. The third scenario is that the Fed is unsuccessful at snapping out inflation. And it's really got to just keep, keep, keep raising rates and destroying and destroying demand. And in that scenario, you have really no growth, you have negative growth, you have really high inflation, and you're in an ugly stagflationary environment. The first scenario, the soft landing of the plane, would tell you that the pain in the bond market is, is probably already behind us. And I argued that in our last webinar. So far, that seems to be true, but you know, remains to be seen. And equity prices, if, if, if equity markets are rational, more in a second on when they are and when they aren't, equities are probably somewhere near their bottom. That's a broad discussion. That's not specific tech stocks or cyclicals. That's a broad com comment on the S&P 500. In the third scenario, we're in a stagflationary environment. Truth be told, it's a really hard environment to invest in. And, and really, the, the best scenarios are, are, are forms of alternative investments because both the stock and debt side is hurt. Let me try and put in perspective 2022's tough start through April. And we've got to go back a, a long way to get some data here that looks comparative. Um, this is a 60 stock 40 bond portfolio. It's a proxy. Everyone has their own asset allocations, but a 60 40 allocation through April was down 10.5%. To see a return similar to that on a 60 40 allocation, you've got to go back to the Great Depression, where in the first four months of the year, the market was down, sorry, a balanced portfolio was down 15%. And what's interesting today, and I've talked about this before, is it's not that the stock side is down 30 and the bond side is up you know, five or six and a blended average is down 10 or 11. It's that basically everything, stocks, US, international, small cap, large cap, debt, et cetera, bonds are all down about 10%. Yes, there are gradations, but in, to generalize, almost all assets are down that amount. What I think is interesting is, and, and you've heard me belabor this probably for two years, the notion that so much of the market and the, the FANG stocks were trading very similarly and that the FANGs were, were the Facebook, the Amazon, the Netflix, the Microsofts of the world were leading the market and all trading together. This can be a very complicated chart, but on the left, what I would just try to tell you is the lower on the chart means they're all trading together. As you get higher on the chart, they start to separate. We think separation is good. It tells you that research and companies who are succeeding and not succeeding are being rewarded and or punished. When everything trades together, it's an odd environment, right? Companies should succeed on their, on their own doing, not just the tailwind or the headwind of the market. As you look on the right-hand side of the chart, 
and now we start to isolate Apple, Microsoft, Netflix, Amazon, Google, Facebook, you see wild dispersion in those companies. So not only are they all not going up, but they're all not all going up or down together. So we're starting to see a breakdown in correlations in the market, which we think is, is actually a good thing over the long term, right? Stocks and companies should trade based on how they're doing. Now, I, I mentioned the notion, you know, is the stock market rational and what's it going to do from here? Well, I think this is an important point. On the top of this chart, I'm looking at 2020 earnings per share or 2022 earnings per share growth. The further we are to the left, the worse the number. As we move to the right, the, the better. And, you know, you can debate this number, but earnings per share this year look like they're going to be over here somewhere, 210, 215, 220, you know, look, this will evolve as the year goes on. But importantly, I referenced 2008, 2009, and 2020 before the pandemic. Those were periods of time where I think very clearly we were looking over the precipice, right? Would the financial system break down? That's 14 years ago. Would the pandemic, you know, completely break the economy? That's only two years ago. In those scenarios, your earnings per share go all the way to the left, right? Because companies aren't making money and they're definitely not growing. That's not what we're wrestling with today. You know, if you want to tell me that earnings per share wind up a little bit down 203, you know, that's not where the market is today, but I, I can stomach that, right? What I think today is today isn't so much a scary market where I look across the top and I'm looking at the purpose, looking over the cliff going, I'm not 211 a share, I'm not 200, I'm 190, I'm 180, I'm 170, I'm 160. And God, you know, if earnings just keep falling out, the stock market bottom is who knows where. That's not the environment we've got today. What I think we have more is not that scary market, but a tricky market in which I'm battling inflation on the bond side and an uncertain economy on the stock side. But if earnings are anywhere on the right, north of 200, right, that tells you that on a rational basis, the stock market shouldn't be down, you know, more than 5, 10, 15%. Now, the question is on the left, what are people willing to pay for the market, right? So what's people's willingness to take risk and believe in and pay for future earnings of any company, be it Johnson & Johnson or NVIDIA, right? That is more on the left, the, the multiple, a function of psychology and willingness to take risk. Where we are today is the multiple is, you know, it moves about 17 to 18 times. So if you're down here on the chart 17 to 18 times, and I told you the earnings were over here on the right, not surprisingly, the market's been down about 17%. 20 is effectively a bear market. You know, that's a, a term of art, right? Doesn't really mean anything. If you're down 19% or 21, does it, does it matter in your life? No, but one is and one is in a bear market. But it may not surprise you if that's where the earnings are going to be, that when people get really scared about stock, we're bottoming at about down 20 or 20, you know, 19, 18, 20%. If the earnings numbers collapse, and we don't think they will, and I should say the street doesn't think they will, and people are not willing to take risk, and they're really negative about the future, and they put a 17 multiple on the market, and now earnings are down 20%. Again, that's nobody's forecast. That's how you're gonna market down 40. Right? So if earnings are gonna stay on the right side of this chart and markets wind up down, 
25, 30, 35%, again, not our prediction, it would tell you they're really too darn cheap, okay? So the top number is a real number. How are companies doing? That number today doesn't frighten us. The number on the left is a psychological number, and that kind of tells you are things too cheap or, too, or not. The bond market's more mathematical. And in my last webinar from a few weeks ago, I said, look, I, it feels like the bond market pain is behind us and yields are higher, and it's probably an interesting time to put some cash to work in the bond market. You, you're not going to be a hero there making tons of money, but if you can make 2 3 4% tax-free on munis versus nothing at the bank, that's as good a yield as you've seen in a really long time. So here's our forecast as of Monday morning as to what our 12-month our return forecast is for municipals. Uh, intermediate term municipals that, you know, everyone has customization in their portfolio, but in a broad based brush, this is a, a high credit quality intermediate duration portfolio. The 10 year treasury not very long ago was 3%. Okay. It's backed off that. That's the notion in my view that the, the worst of the bond market is likely behind us. Now, if some of those earlier economic scenarios come to fruition and we're wrong and the Fed has to keep raising rates much more than they've already told us they will. So they're behind the curve. That's going to mean there's more pain coming in the bond market. Just to be clear, we all understand the Fed is raising rates from here. The bond market has already priced that in. So when Jay Powell raises rates at the next meeting, that's not going to ruin my chart. It's if the Fed says in any of their future com um, commentary or meetings, or in the end has to raise rates more than the market has already priced in. And the market's priced in somewhere about 2.75 to 3% on the Fed funds rate at the end of the year. If the 10-year treasury is 279, which is about where it is today, we think you make 3.95 on munis over the next 12 months. If the 10-year treasury continues to go up and gets to four, I would say for most people that's an outward bound over the next 12 months, but it's not impossible. Munis will still be positive at 75 basis points right tax-free if the treasury falls to 2.25 that would suggest real weakness in the economy and and people think the fed won't be able to raise rates munis will rally and you'll be at 5.4 percent on munis over the next 12 months and and that doesn't include any of the active management any of the credit research or portfolio positioning we can do on top of that that's a static portfolio's return over the next 12 months okay those numbers are they're not as good as you wouldn't see it a week ago from me, but they're as good as you've seen, you know, over the last few years. And why? It's really simple. Interest rates are higher. So just quickly, in the stock portfolios. Now, I know there are a number of clients in, in on this call who have very different portfolios. So I, I'm going to make some very broad-based commentary. And if you look in your statement or you go online and you see some different positions, I, I'm, I'm painting a bit of a broad-based brush to try and capture how macro we're thinking about portfolios today. So you may not see every one of these positions, but, it, but it's very reasonable that you might see this or different names that, that adhere to some of this conceptually, how we're thinking about stock portfolios today. So we've added to long-term winners in our core equity portfolios, places like LPL Financial, Microsoft, Visa. You will see large positions in United Healthcare, Home Depot, Apple. Again, not all one size fits all. If you have a very growth-oriented or deep value portfolio, it might look different. But, but you know, as a, as a broad-based brush, those are some of the names we've been adding to. We've been adding to companies that we think will be resilient in the slowdown, like T-Mobile and Roche. And so 
I would say in the vast majority of, of the portfolios we manage, again, this may not be true for, for one or two people on this call, we are not trying to jump into the ugliest parts of the market and time a bottom. Now, that doesn't mean we're not value investors. That doesn't mean we're not going to pick up growth on the cheap. But I don't expect us to go out and buy you know, Netflix or Peloton down 80 or 90%. That doesn't mean they may or may not be a good investment, but for the majority of our clients, right? We're not trying to be a hero here. We're trying to buy a dollar's worth of assets for 80, 70, or 60 cents, and one, two, three years from now, sell it back at a dollar. We're not trying to jump into controversy of let's buy a dollar's worth of assets that's fallen to 50 cents worth of assets, that's trading at 10 cents of assets, and you know, hold our fingers and hold our nose and hope that we can hit a 2x return on this in the next six months. Not impossible. I'm not suggesting there aren't giant bargains out there, but for the vast majority of people on this call, that's not the strategy we're using in this market. Doesn't mean it can't be achieved, but it, it generally is higher risk than what we're trying to achieve for our clients. And so if I could, could sum up, because I said I'd run 20 minutes, um, I think you have to, for the most part, be willing to stick with your asset allocation through this period of time. Generally speaking, for two reasons, right? One, the yield on your bonds is better than you've seen in years. And if you have time, which the vast majority of our clients do, yield is going to drive return on the bond side. If you say to me, I have bonds, but I'm buying my house in six months, or I need this money for college or an estate planning gift, and that's happening in the next three, nine, 12, 15 months, we would think differently about that. On the same token, on the equity side, we are clearly repositioning portfolios to think about this new world. Um, that being said, if you're thinking about adding to equity, I think it's got to be strategic and slow because although the prior chart I showed you in the red suggests that, hey, on a fundamental basis, markets are pretty cheap today. One, that doesn't mean they won't get cheaper. And two, in all humility, that doesn't mean we're right. So instead of trying to time this perfectly, we would say, look, we think there's good odds that it's a decent entry point today. But to that extent, buy slowly and don't try and run into the deepest parts of the market You know, to try and hit a giant home run. There's, there's really nice returns in front of you if you have the time and can slowly leg in. I hope those 20 minutes were instructive about how markets and the economy and how our portfolios look today. Um, obviously willing to follow up with everyone on this call, Amanda and myself, about um, your specific situations. But I appreciate you taking the time. We will do another quarterly webinar end of June, so July. Um, and if I don't speak to you beforehand, have a great Memorial Day weekend and um, hang in. We will be in touch soon. Thank you. <laughs>